Welcome to the PWE and Me podcast, a place where we talk about the workplace, how it's changing, and ways that we can create an experience at work that is inspiring, real, and motivates us to bring our best self to work. PWE, what is it? Well, it's an acronym for Purposeful Workplace Experience. I'm on a mission to help our workplaces shift from being transactional to transformational, and PWE is how we will get there. My name is Carolyn Suara, your host and creator of PWE. Welcome to another episode of PWE and Me, a place where we talk about creating purposeful workplace experiences. Today, my guest is Deb Coviello. Deb, welcome to the show. Carolyn, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and have a great conversation with you. Yeah. So Deb, uh, Deb and I met on LinkedIn, you know, our good old friend uh, on uh, connecting us here on LinkedIn. And uh, what I loved about your profile, Deb, I was saying to you this just before we started is you have this phenomenal background, this 30 year background in the quality and operational excellence area, right? And and providing all this uh, support um, and insight around process and quality and consistency. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's it, it's an amazing, uh, you know, 30 plus years, I'm afraid to say, but I mean, it's been a great ride. I've been fortunate to be in so many different industries, building and honing my craft. I primarily work in, you know, manufacturing operations, though I can do back office stuff, leveraging my skills in quality and continuous improvement. Um but it's one of those things that early in my career, I've learned that, you know, building your craft and improving your techniques on problem solving is just one part of the, the, the puzzle. But it's crazy. In, in recent years, as I, I learned more, my biggest tool in my toolbox is actually how we, we interact with humans and how we leverage them in the collective yeah. problem solving and quality and operations. So it's been a great ride. And oh, my gosh, so many stories to share. Yeah, well, and I hope we get into some of those. Um, and so now I understand you, uh, you have your own business now, you've gone out on your own. And uh, I, I saw in your profile, uh, you talked about being a drop in CEO, which I loved. And I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about what what that is. is a, what is a drop in CEO? You know, it's funny that you ask about that because it kind of happened by accident, but it, it really speaks to a mindset. So I was interviewed by another connection on LinkedIn. And during this conversation, when asked, what is it that you do? I said, well, I'm kind of like a drop-in CEO. I go into situations that are either crisis bound, or maybe uh, an owner is looking to grow their business in another direction, but just doesn't have the capacity or capability. And I just have this way, the sixth sense, where I'm just attuned to understand the landscape. I go in, I look at the people, I look at the processes, I look at the different platforms and, and what is the business issue they're having. And then I shed light on it. And then I partner with, you know, the, the people I'm connected with to pave the way out of whatever the crisis is or, um, you know, move them to a better place. And it's also through the process where I'm keenly interested in elevating the people as well. 
so that when I eventually pull out as that CEO, that we can sustain the improvements that we've made together with the resources we have there. Because so often you can fix things and add this and throw money and resources at it, but we don't really develop the people to sustain what we do. So that's kind of where the drop-in CEO came from. And that's kind of mindset I, I, I run my life by. Wow. And so as a drop-in CEO and with your with your clients in your work now, do you, is it sort of like a short-term or like you and an interim leader until a new one comes in? Or is this like, are these like longer term, um, like two or three year type leadership roles that you're you're coming in to help out with? So that's another great question. You're really making me think about this. I, I'd like to think about it more in terms of not necessarily the time or duration, but it's really about what is needed. Sometimes when we're in a crisis or have a particular business issue, we're so close to it that the person I'm working with can't actually see what the solution is or the greater opportunity. So I go in and through a lot of questions. I spend a lot of time with the human, just understanding what's important to them. What is their why? Where are they going? What is ultimately that they're trying to achieve? And so when I drop in, I dropped in for a week and helped a leader, a quality leader, find their true voice versus fixing a single thing. I've gone into a company where they just didn't have the capacity or capability to build the foundation for their food and quality system. So I've got a three month assignment on that and I'm going to leave them with something that they're going to own to I've recently engaged with an opportunity that may be a nine month commitment to sustain the business, leverage my quality leadership and make sure we achieve the mission during this transition time. So it's really the it. same kind of work um, and it can be any duration of time. Yeah, it's such an excellent point. Um, I mean, it sounds like you're, it's it's outcome focus, focused versus a time bound thing, uh, which is is really it's all about the output more than how long it's going to take, right? Yeah, and, and again, it's it's really about the mindset. It's not the duration. A CEO has those qualities that they can see things very clearly and be able to move an organization forward and get that desired result. Right. So, so you obviously have a ton of experience to bring into this role and to, to share with these leaders and, and help them get them on track and achieving the goals that they need to. Let's talk a little bit about balancing the what. So the process, um, you know, the Lean Sigma, the, all that stuff um, with the how, which is the people, the human stuff. What's your perspective on that? How do you balance it? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly I need to understand what they want to achieve. I have to really understand their expected outcome, and that's pretty much a check the box. But I need to spend some time in the how. So recently I had a client who simply wanted to fix um, how they manage customer complaints, and really that's very tactical. But how we approached it, I mean, I could have just jumped right in and fixed the problem, delivered a product, and built them. But... It really was about discovery. And so my how is understanding their current state. How do they currently run the process? And then understanding how do they want the future state to operate? And sometimes there's a gap between the how now and the how then. And my job is to help fill that gap. But then also, and I know we'll get to it, understand 
what are you trying to achieve? What's the why behind all of that? But I, in my process, start with a lot of questions. I don't dictate. I don't tell. I don't have a cookie cutter solution for any client. I spend most of my time, probably 60 percent of my time, in asking questions and what they want to accomplish. And beautiful things. Come, and beautiful things come out of that discussion that you never would have expected. Yeah. And you know, what's coming to mind for me is that uh, you're showing up and you're being, you're being human. You're, imagine that you're being human, <laughs> connecting and having conversations and just being curious. It sounds like yeah. not coming in with like preconceived answers or a, a formula for them. You know, I get a, a thrill out of it. So I'll, I'll go a little deeper into this particular example. Again, this person wanted to fix uh, what was a very inefficient process. But when I asked them, what do you really want to achieve? And he said, you know, I really enjoy balance, balance of life, time with family. I don't want to be spending time fighting fires and and dealing with crises. I would prefer to spend more time uh, proactively with my customers, discussing possibilities and possibly uh, looking at new business opportunities. That's really where I want to move this. And I said, that's it. That's your voice. That's your message. Not only are we going to fix this process, but you have now found your voice and you're going to communicate your why to the organization. And that's how you're going to pull everybody forward on what you're going to do. That was the beauty of that engagement. Wow. Starts with why. Thank you, Simon Sinek, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so what happened? Now I'm curious to know what happened. He found his why and and then how did things, can you, can you tell us what happened from there? Yeah. So they went with fixing the process. He found his why and articulated to his senior leadership. And now one, they have a much more efficient and shared responsibility in managing customer relations. And the story is still unfolding. My hope is that Um, They move to be uh, more of a favorite service provider in their industry. So it's still unfolding and we're going to wait and see what else happens. Some beautiful things I hope happen. Yeah. And, you know, in my in my book, um, Rules of Engagement, I talk about the first rule and what I think is absolutely paramount to any purposeful workplace experience is this notion of connection and connecting to people. And what I love about, you know, that example you just shared is is how it all started with connection. And then that leader was able to take that their why and connect with others. And and, you know, it's so fundamental, whatever job you're doing doing whatever process you're trying to fix or or job you're trying to do when you start with the why and connect with others it's it's magical isn't it yeah you know let's just go a little little deeper here and you know we're having a conversation right now we can't really see each other but there's something so powerful about looking somebody in the eye because the soul really bears something so much more than what they're saying so i also had an example where I was talking to a leader about what they were trying to accomplish, having the opportunity to look deep inside their eyes. I wasn't there just to fix the foundation, but I later learned, and you could see it in their eyes, their acknowledgement that I was really setting their business up for potential growth and potentially future sale of the company because they had built a better foundation. So, so connecting, connecting, really connecting, seeing your client, hopefully, Um, is also that other almost intangible tool that you need in addition to just 
just why, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, any other thoughts about connection and how that showed up for you in your 30 years um, in, in, uh, in industry? Yeah, so connection. So I also had a, a story about where we had to, we'd recently acquired uh, a couple manufacturing sites and we needed to integrate them. And of course, you know, the tagline when you're in op operational excellence is we focus on people, processes, and tools. But so often we forget about the people, <laughs> people last. We think about how can we get them on our platform? How can we integrate their processes? And, you know, I really took a different approach. I let the rest of the project proceed as, as usual, but I didn't start with process and platforms. I spent a lot of time visiting the people who he had just acquired. And there's a couple more things just getting to know the people and is, is understanding their past. So past equals their culture. What are they particularly proud of? What are the strengths of the people that we have just acquired? I would even go as far as what is their most treasured intellectual property? What were those products or services that they were particularly proud of that set them apart even for the acquisition? You spend time knowing the human in their past and their intellectual property that makes them most proud. And I found I built some tremendous relationships that even through integration of this company into our larger corporation, we weathered the storm so much better, even when we had issues, because we trusted and we cared about the people. Absolutely, um, and and I'm I'm presume that you were then able to, uh, you know, bring those relationships and bring that trust into then all the the process and the tools and all that work that you were doing. Yeah. So basically, once the rest was actually incidental, you gained the people's trust. And even at our toughest times where maybe we had data issues or we couldn't ship product, people muscled through the issues and they did it happily and they put in the extra time because they were committed and they knew people cared about the work they did and who they are. Yeah. And how did so, so Deb, how did you learn that lesson? What made it so fundamental to how you operated? Oh, you know, now you go kind of to one's DNA. I, I think what it was is I was seeing the project go in a direction that I knew was not right. And I just knew, and I, it's hard to explain, but I just knew I needed to meet face-to-face -face with these new organizations. It's just, I just knew it would be so much easier for me to do my job. My job, I can project manage, I can develop quality programs. I can, you know, improve efficiency. I can do flow charts. I can do all of that. But I have had some experience in my past where I did not engage the human. And when I tried to move a project forward, and I can't believe I did this because I should have known this, I, the project was met with opposition and not everybody was on board. And it reminded me I needed to engage with everybody, even at the lowest levels of the organization, to help them to understand what we were doing and why we were doing it. And so fast forward, then in that particular project, as soon as we brought the human on board, uh, we were able to get some really great results. So it's kind of some life lessons and reminders that help me to understand that I got to start with the people first, the rest is incidental. Yeah, no, it's, uh, that's, it, that's beautiful. Um, I'm curious to, to hear from you around what you think gets in the way. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer that 
people don't wake up in the morning and think I'm going to go to work and be a total asshole. Um, you know, I think everyone has good intentions, but quite often process can get in the way of us connecting as humans first. So what do you, what do you think gets in the way from your experience? What have you seen? Yeah, that's another great question. I, I do think to <laughs> a recent problem I had before I, I started my own business was, um, you know, I was dealing with humans in a particular crisis situation and I wasn't able to move forward or get somebody on board. And I think the one thing that I missed, but then I quickly realized is, you know, we had a, we were dealing with people. We had processes to deal with the crisis. We had platforms and tools, et cetera, but I was still hitting a roadblock. And so I just recently talked about past and culture and it was that element, that P, <laughs> that cultural perspective that I needed to understand. And once I understood that person's past, their history, their culture, their understanding of the situation in another region, then I understood why we were butting heads. And I think that's also another key element for people is think about the culture, think about the past, the diversity, the things that make us different. And when you understand that, then you can bridge the gaps and move forward with the human. And, and uh, why, why do we forget to ask about the past? Do you think? Or why does it just not come top of mind? So, you know, in a crisis, you're just so tunnel vision on just fix it, fix it, fix it. Customers are yelling at you. Commercials yelling at you. You're just, you just go into, you know, survival mode. And so people are often rewarded for the fixing and they don't seek to understand how and why did we get here? Now I'm a fixer, but while I'm fixing, I I then go to the root cause. Why did we get here? What did we not understand? Were we not trained? Did we not not have the right process, the right expectation? What was missing so I can get, not be in this situation again? That's where people need to spend a little bit of time. We're back to the why. We're back to the why again. All things come back to why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, what's important too is to ask, I'll say the right questions of why, like not why did you mess up or why did this happen? I think that's too broad, but getting getting a little bit deeper, you know, um, and maybe it's not always a why question, but what what might have contributed to this or what might we do differently if we were to do it next time, but just trying to uncover a deeper understanding versus placing judgment or laying blame. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. It's really in the questions we ask people. And again, you don't necessarily teach this to young professionals, but somehow (laughs) when you go through your performance reviews, uh, we find these things like, oh, and then you've got to be coached and then you've got to take a class in it. But it's simple, just so, so simple. Um, Two words come to mind. It's seeking to understand and empathy. Put yourself in the other person's shoes and ask the question or help me to understand your perspective. Help me to understand your thought process and asking those deeper questions about one's thinking and their approach. Then you understand why they did or did not do something and then you can find a way forward. Yeah. Do you know what one of my favorite questions to ask is? I'm all here. It's it's uh, it's what else? Go on. After, after, well, that's the question is, you know, asking after you've, you've, you know, talked about something, um, you know, sometimes those 
better ideas or, or as things sit and settle, some other ideas come to mind. And so I find by asking what else and then pausing, we can continue to pull out even more than what we thought we could. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. It's those tails. It's sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm very efficient and I'll try to end a meeting five minutes early to allow people to transition. But if you just allow a little extra time or or even the people, like you say, ask what else of the people who've been quiet because sometimes they've been stewing or brewing or thinking about something and then you find these beautiful nuggets at the end. <laughs> Yes, yes. Or even the next day, right? Like after you've thought about it and, and synthesized a few things. Yeah, we've got a lot of introverts sometimes um, in a technical space. Subject matter experts like to think about stuff. And if you don't ask what else within the confines of that meeting, if they were quiet and you know they're thoughtful people, uh, follow up and connecting with people after the meeting that you think can contribute more is something I've done often. And I, again, I come away with additional thoughts and ideas how to resolve the issue at hand. Yeah, let's actually let's dig into that. Um, introverts dealing with introverts. So one of my favorite books uh, was Quiet uh, by Susan King. It, it fundamentally changed how I interacted with people. And I'm now married to uh, an introvert and appreciate all the qualities that he uh, he brings to uh, our relationship as an introvert. I am a self proclaimed extrovert. Um, how? How do you connect? And what works for you? Um, in connecting with people who are introverts? Because I think there are some very common misconceptions about that. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, <laughs> you're talking to an introvert right now. <laughs> yep. And I think asking for one's feedback, asking for their thoughts, making sure you give them time to reflect and to respond is really key for these introverts. Um, I also find that if you give introverts content in advance of showing up for whatever event where we need to collaborate, you've given them the time they need to process and prepare. So you uh, fortunately gave me some of the thoughts and themes of our conversation today. So you gave me time and the opportunity to reflect so I can show up and, and support this conversation. But also introverts need time to process afterwards. So you then need to have follow up with these people and again, get them on a one-on-one. -on -one. And again, the, the meeting continues and you get a lot of great input to the issue hand. So uh, yeah, <laughs> you're talking to one. <laughs> Yeah, no, thanks. And and I, I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't know that about about you in particular. I mean, we don't know each other all that well. But I, you know, I think it's important as we look to connect with the different people that we work with, one that we don't put titles on them. So introvert, extrovert, whatever. I, I don't, I don't agree in titling people. However, I do believe in being aware and, and using being versatile with how you can connect and recognizing that, you know, that lead time is important and that the soak time afterward is important and to loop back around. Um, you know, I, you know, I think it's, as I said, it's just important to have that versatility. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and a lot of it, uh, to your point, I mean, I know um, there's all kinds of technology today, but, you know, another tool in the toolbox is just looking at the body language. So, you know, if I can do a face-to-face -face meeting best, if I can do it video conferencing, that's okay. Uh, careful to the um, just teleconference where you can't see people's body language, even more so to solicit feedback. What else? 
Um, but reading the body language will help me to understand the level of engagement and if they have anything more to contribute or are they still processing and then to get them later. So again, being able to read people, another late, late emerging tool that uh, I leverage a lot today. Yeah. So um, let's let's shift the conversation a little bit. I want to I want to love to hear more about your experience uh, in your business and uh, and from all the different people you've worked with. What have you seen that um, allows all these leaders to create a purposeful workplace experience or a great company culture or a great leadership um yeah. Wow. Great thing. So, so I've had a recent assignment. It was about three months in length and just the leader showing up and being present and supporting the team all during a process that started in crisis, that if they didn't change their business processes, that they wouldn't be able to grow and retain market share. So I was fortunate to participate in workshops where the leaders showed up, they acknowledged the pain of where they'd been, they expressed the future of where they're going and remained in all of the workshops through and through. And when we realized that these humans were in an environment that was very tough, but they muscled through each day, she then apologized for all that they had to do, but then thanked and acknowledged them for their continued support and transparency on how troublesome the processes were, but that she would absolutely support them as we designed a future state, one, to make their lives easier to support our customers. That was a sign of a really workplace healthy culture that I was fortunate to see. And I've not seen that always, but that was a really, really good one. And now they're moving forward with the future state. And I know they're gonna be amazingly successful. Cool. Now, I, I'm going to be a little bit devil's advocate here, okay. just in case some listeners are in their mind thinking, whatever, people apologize all the time. How did you know that the apology was sincere? You know, is that something that she did all the time? And, you know, this was just oh, another project. Someone's getting up there and apologizing, but they really don't value me. Value me. There, there sounds like there was something more that showed that the sincerity was there. Yeah, so it was a beautiful thing. And, and what really was the tell for me was when I looked at the body language of every employee in that room, both leaders as well as just the day-to-day -day people going through the grind, their body language, like bobbleheads, they were all nodding in mm -hmm. her direction. And once she finished and they were nodding and acknowledging her for acknowledging them, they then piped in and said, Yes, but we are so grateful now that, you know, we've talked about these issues in the past, but we now believe that we're finally going to make inroads. So it's it's audience, it's internal customers that acknowledged her. And that told me that it was sincere because it was received in the right way. Yeah, well, and I think that that shows the importance of watching that body language. It's not always the words that come out of our mouth. There's so much more that can be told when you look at, at other aspects of communication as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And so what, what would be some other things of, of great cultures, other elements of, of great cultures or great workplace experiences that you've seen? Well, here's the thing, Carolyn, <laughs> is I think there's still a lacking of it. <laughs> okay. Because, Let's um, go there. What's lacking? Well, because um, one of the things that I've seen in my past two employments before I you know became my own business owner is 
they talk a lot about this. They talk about empathy. They talk about having, you know, the right culture and they will do all the right things. But then when I ask the question about, well, you know, we need to start doing this to set our people up for success. We need to start this initiative. Then they come back and say, yeah, well, that's nice and all, but we got to focus on delivering the objectives. We just got to focus on the next 12 to 18 months. And so I think there is an, an awareness of organizations that they need to have a better workplace culture. Some will go through the motions of having, you know, talking about customer journeys and, 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 and building empathy and understanding. But then when it's words, the actions at the end of the day, I don't I always see it full circle. So I think there's still opportunity for growth. <laughs> and I just know that when I do pick the clients, once they've picked me, that they already have the right mindset. They want to engage the people through the process. But I, I do think that there is so much more room for growth. And I'm um, very happy for the work that you are doing in that area. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I actually... When, when we bring on a new client, we are looking for strong indicators that they are ready to change. Because as you said, there's a lot of people who want to do the right thing or think that it's it's a, a checkbox that, oh, check culture. If we bring in some consultants to look after it, uh, we'll all be good. And that is not good enough anymore. It might have been 10, 15 years ago, but it definitely isn't anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Um, totally agree with that. Sure. So, um, so Deb, what uh, what other aspects of of culture or um, purposeful workplace experiences um, in your in your travels would you like to shed a little bit more light on? Well, it's interesting. Um, I did have one experience where I had to. Um, it, it's kind of like two cultures side by side, and it's very interesting to see. Um, my last organization I worked for, you know, we had to come together and share what we were going to do in the next year. Uh, you know, what are our objectives? What are our goals? What are we going to do for our region? And the typical thing that is expected of a leader like me is to say, here's what we're going to do. Here are the resources we need. And I did all of that. But I also <laughs> started this uh, presentation in a style that was different than what I had normally done per the culture. And I actually started from a place of why. Why do I lead? What's important to me? Why is my leadership so important to the success of the um, organization I was leading? And then I also talked about my how, how I was going to lead differently because ultimately as a leader, the results fall on my shoulder. I take complete responsibility for the results. And we were struggling. But when I then shared, here is my why, and here is my how, and then ultimately I got to what are we going to accomplish, the mainstream culture called me to the mat and said, you know, you didn't spend enough time on talking through what you were going to do. The other stuff was nice to share, but not appropriate. And what happened later, meeting with colleagues over a meal was then they said, we absolutely love what you did. We love hearing your why and how you were going to lead differently. We need more leaders like you. We need more creative people that think that way because if we keep getting the same kind of people that focus just on the what, we're going to get the same result. And so in that moment, I got one affirmation that a leadership starting with why and how is so much more important 
or as important as the what we're going to do. And so that was an example of two cultures side by side that were at at a crossroads. And so those were two different cultures, like two organizations coming together then. And so one group said, don't tell us about your why. We don't want to hear it. And the other group said it was. So it's all the same organization. But what it was is the senior Mm -hmm. leadership didn't want me to start with why. But it was the next yes. level of management down, down that gave me the accolades that this is what we need. So you've got the culture in the front that says we need to act in a certain way and don't. And then, you know, those that believe, yes, we need to do something different in terms of engaging people and how and why we lead. Yeah. So really, really an interesting learning for me. It's a fantastic story to share because I think that is so typical of what happens in organizations, right? The senior management loses their connection unintentionally with their why. And, and you know, they have a, a long list. They're accountable. Their fiduciary responsibilities are vast and enormous. And obviously they take them very responsible, like they're very responsible about that. However, they lose their why in, in there. And that's what people follow, right? That's, that's people, we can follow all sorts of different people but if we're not connected to their why you know it's it doesn't it doesn't um yeah you're gonna you're gonna lose your following if you don't have a strong why i think that's such a phenomenal story thank you for sharing that thank you it's uh yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it's and and you know to, to those of you know those people listening you know i think it's important for us to all know what our why is why is it that we do the job that we do or why is it that we choose to lead. Um, and that, because whether we realize it or not, people will sniff out our why. And if you don't have a clear why, that could be what's wrong with your leadership or why people perhaps aren't aren't motivated or inspired by you. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, you can't teach that out of college. <laughs> and sometimes you can't yeah. coach that when you have your one-on-ones or your semi-annual reviews. It also takes a lot of courage on the part of the up-and-coming leader to reflect and stop and think, read, listen to other inspirational leaders and start finding your why, because you may not have it out of the gate, and sometimes it comes later in life, and that's okay. And so my why is really about you know, creating harmony and, and, and not peace in the world, but balance so that people can enjoy and do the things they really want. I came from an upbringing of a lot of turmoil. And so I'm always seeking to fix the crisis, fix the problem so that we can get back to stability and move on with the things we love. And so that translates into the work that I do with people. My job is to remove barriers so we can solve problems and do the good work that we are supposed to do for our customers, clear and simple. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I I know I, I agree with you to a point when you say it might take a long time to find your why. I, I agree with that in a big philosophical, like, what am I here to do and be on earth? Um, I do think, however, that we can connect with smaller whys, right? Like, why do I have this job? And I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, one of my last roles, I didn't, I, I really did not like the technical content of it. But the why for me 
kept me going. The why was I wanted experience at a senior level position where I could learn about different aspects of the business. And so the why was really important for me. I had that job for three years and three years is a long time to do something technically that I didn't love. But because I had my why and I was grounded in my why, it it made it um, a learning experience for me instead of a transactional go and do your job type thing. So what, what are your thoughts around that? Having short-term whys? You know, <laughs> this is why these conversations are so fantastic because, you know, you're also getting me to think, and you know, you are right. I may have had my big why, <laughs> my more purposeful why later in life, but you are right. I mean, I had little whys like, why did I work so hard in high school and college? Because I wanted the opportunities open to me to do what I want, move to where I wanted to live in a way that I wanted to live. So I had an opportunity and I ran with it. And there afterwards, I wanted you know, work that provided us the financial means so we could just enjoy life. So I took the more challenging roles. So you're right. There are whys that we fulfill along the way and then stack them up one at a time gets you to those greater, more purposeful meanings of what you're supposed to do. Now, I yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not, um, you know, I think I think sometimes we think we have to have these big, grandiose ideas of what, you know, why and like this Mother Teresa type <laughs> perspective. But, you know, a why, a why can be anything as long as it has meaning to you individually. Um, you know, I think I think that that's where the magic is, is, is giving yourself the space to figure out what that why is. And, you know, journaling, reflection, um, being mindful about that and giving yourself the space to think is so important to helping you connect with your why. Can't agree with you more. And, and, and I'm on a personal note, yeah. you know, I, I'm married and I have three children and I sometimes even think my, my greatest why, my greatest why beyond the work that I do is that I had three wonderful children and it's, it's my job to help them to make their way in this world, be productive citizens, help them not take over, but help them through their struggles, be supportive so that they can be independent and do greater things than I could ever imagine. So that's really, really what's important to me. So it's through my personal life and through my business life. Yeah, beautiful. I love how you shared your why, Deb. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you for for, for doing that. Um, it looks like uh, it looks like we're at that time to wrap things up. Um, Again, I, I can't thank you enough for, for sharing your why, for sharing your stories and really uh, allowing us to get into uh, this idea of, of purpose and why and how important it is in creating uh, great workplace cultures and, uh, and that there's a big role for that to, in, um, in the operational excellence world and that, that world of, of quality. Um, so thanks again, Deb. Uh, and I would encourage, um, you know, any of you out there who are on social media, Deb is doing a lot of work out there and, and, uh, follow her on LinkedIn. Um, are you, you're on Twitter too, I believe. Yes. I know we've had some Twitter exchanges. Yep. Um, yeah. So, uh, so any, any last comments before we sign off here, Deb, that you'd like to share? Um, my only thing is, first of all, thank you, Carolyn. This has been a great conversation. Um, I really, really support what you're doing in terms of culture. The human is the most important tool in the toolbox and, uh, I'll support you and, and, and everybody. This is, it's just such a 
important topic, and I'm just really enjoying the fact we had this opportunity to have a, a conversation. With that. So thank you so much. Beautiful. Well, thanks so much, Deb, and thanks to all of the listeners out there for tuning into another episode of PWE and Me. Join us again uh, on another upcoming episode coming soon. hearing more about PWE? Well, I'd welcome you to buy my book, Rules of Engagement, Building a Workplace Culture to Thrive in an Uncertain World. I share stories, personal and professional, about different elements of PWE, and it's available on Amazon or on Indigo. Thanks to all of you out there. This is why we do this. This is why we have this conversation. We look forward to being with you again on our next PWE and Me podcast. Now, the best way you can hear us is to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes. And if you don't like either one of those two, you can always go to my website at carolynswara.com.